us, um, your undeserving people, and yet your people. So, Lord, we ask for more grace. We know you love to give it, so now as your word is opened, may it strengthen us and encourage us and guide us in the way we should go. This we ask, Christ, in your great name. Amen. Some of you uh, know my story. You know that I grew up in the Midwest um, and uh, in central Illinois, actually, and I, I was a really good kid and, uh, and pretty handsome back in the day. I haven't changed a bit except for the beard, I know, and um, I was in the, but I was, I was a pretty good kid. I was in the top 10 of my class. Um, don't ask me how big my class was. There were more than 10. It was a small rural school in the Midwest. There were more than 10. And um, what, what no one knew, though, there was a dark spot in my soul um, that would not have been obvious to anyone who knew me. Um, I was involved in satanic stuff uh, when I was in high school. Um, no one knew. My parents did not know. My best friend did not know. I'm not even sure I realized what I was involved in. Um, I mean, I wasn't like out doing animal sacrifices or anything crazy like that. But it just seemed like I was doing it, what everyone else was doing, most everyone anyway. And as a result of that, even though I was a regular at church and Sunday school, I had been confirmed, I had been baptized, I was, I was, as the Apostle Paul would put it, I was following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so as a result of that, I was ensnared by desires that held me far from God. Um, when I read Ephesians 2, you can open your Bibles there if you'd like. I am reading my story. I am reading about me. This is, this is me. Paul, it's as though Paul says, Larry, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, good kid that I was, Paul is describing me. I was living in the passions of my flesh and carrying out desires that were enslaving me. Paul, Paul is describing me. But I want to draw your attention to a couple little phrases that he uses in there where he says, um, among whom we all once lived. And then the very last phrase, like the rest of mankind. And what that to tell us is that this is not just my story. This is our story. Okay? This is who we were before and apart from Christ. This is the lot of all mankind. Um, and Paul, in these three short verses, um, lays out three major things that described us. He starts in verse one and says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead. We had total inability to right our wrongs and find our way back to God on our own. We were far from God, who is the giver of life. 
That's the first thing he points out. The second thing is in the next few verses, we were dead in our trespasses and sins which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And the second thing he says is that we followed the ways of the world. The, the godless patterns of the world, they were ours. Some caroused, and it was evident to everyone around them, but others were um, outwardly good. But we were all living apart from God. It's the way of the world. Life is lived without God as king. But even beyond that, Paul says, um, we all followed the ways of the prince of the power of the air, which is one of the titles given to the devil in scripture, and it alludes to his rulership over this world. Under God, of course. 2 Corinthians 4 puts it this way. It says, the God of this world, another reference to the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He blinded us so we could not see God. We couldn't see and hear and understand and believe the gospel of Jesus. Elsewhere, he says that, that we had been captured by the devil to do his will. Um, so it turns out all of us at some level were into satanic stuff. We all followed this prince of the power of the air. From the wild and crazy to the obedient honor student, all were following, perhaps unknowingly, all were following the ways of the God of this age. Paul says it's the way that all mankind lives, even the best of us. Verse three, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And that's the third way he describes us here. He says we were, we were children of wrath, we're objects of wrath, facing the impending judgment of God, and again, that universal language here. Um, this is this is true for all of us. Every last one of us, this was true. But for me, a little more than forty years ago now, something happened to me that changed all of this. Um, it was that this. This little theater, one screen movie theater in Peoria, Illinois, the Beverly Theater at a youth event, um, that God in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved me, rescued me from all of this, this life that I was living, rather this death that I was living. And it's not just true for me, it's true for all of us who believe in Jesus as God's son. In verse four, he says it. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have it saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But God, so this was our state, but God, rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us. What a beautiful way to say it. He intervened. And everything changed. And in those, those next few verses we just read, there are three great exchanges that took place between what we were and who we are in Christ. See, now there is life in the place of death. We are no longer dead in our sin and trespasses, but we are alive together with Christ, verse 5 says. We are, there's freedom in the place of captivity. We are no longer enslaved to Satan, but we are raised with Christ and we belong to Jesus. We've been united with him. There's kindness in the place of wrath. We're no longer children of wrath, but recipients of his kindness in verse 7, to be spared the wrath of God. And that would be enough. But we also receive the incomparable riches of his grace and kindness for ages to come. Pastor John Piper describes what that is like. He says, I read in the paper recently, this is a number of years ago, that Queen Elizabeth is worth about $4 billion, billion with a B. He says, now, if you got a letter in the mail from Queen Elizabeth which said that she had taken an oath by the blood of her son to spend her riches to show you as much kindness as she could for the rest of your life, wouldn't you get pretty excited about that? And he says, and her wealth compares to God's like a grain of sand to the, to the Sahara Desert. And he said, she could only show you that kindness for a few years, for 10 or 30 or 60 maybe. But look what Paul says God intends to do for you that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable rich of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen. Paul says in verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And Paul makes it very clear, this rescue that, that has been done, these three exchanges that took place, They're God's work. It happened to us when we were dead. And uh, last time I checked, dead people don't do much. This is God's work. Someone must act on their behalf. God did it. And as a result, he says, we have no bragging rights. Our new life in Christ is by grace, not by works. Our works weren't enough. They couldn't resurrect us. Resurrection from the dead, that's God's work. So this morning, I hope you have a sense that this is your story too. Um, Or it can be. It must be. If you want to experience life instead of death and freedom in place of captivity and God's kindness instead of his wrath. This morning, you can be rescued from life without God by his grace, by undeserved favor, through faith, not in your own good works, but in the good work of Jesus on the cross for your sins and in his resurrection. You can be rescued if you'll trust him. So will you, will you trust him and not your own good works? If you will, you can know the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. I did that at that dusty little theater in Peoria, Illinois, some 40 years ago. I have never regretted that, 
It has been life to me. It can be for you if you will trust wholly in Jesus' good work and not in your own good works. We simply cannot be good enough. But Paul addresses next what place good works have in our lives. He says in verse 10, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he's saying the same thing. We are made new in Christ by God's workmanship. He does it. He made us new in Christ. And we have been created by God in Christ for a purpose, for good works that he has prepared beforehand. Not because of our good works, Good works are God's purpose in our salvation, not what causes it. They are our response to grace, not the basis for it. So God has rescued us so that we could walk in good works that he prepared beforehand. Think about that. There are things that God has prepared for you to walk in, things he wants you to do. He prepared them beforehand and then he rescued you so you could walk in those things. Are there things today that God has prepared for you to do? I think there are. I think think Paul's teaching us that there are, that he rescued you from Satan so you could do those things, which raises the question, what might they be? What did God prepare for you? Well, they're good. Whatever they are, they're good things to walk in. And there are two shapes of those good works that I just want to underscore that come out in the scriptures this morning. Um, both are in the, one, the first one especially, but both are in the writings of Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we find the first one. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 21, Paul says that if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so here's this same idea that God has works for us to do. And he's talking about how we can be most useful to God. And he goes on in the next couple verses and there are things you're supposed to flee like youthful passions or quarrels. There are things you're supposed to embrace. um, Things like uh, enduring evil, for instance. Um, Those are the kinds of things that make us most useful to God. But then he elaborates on one particular good work that he longs for God to do in us. In 2 Timothy 2, verse, down in verse 25, he talks to Timothy about correcting his opponents with gentleness, and here's why. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so Paul here has in mind that God will use us to rescue people from the snare of the devil after having been captured to do his will. So that whole beautiful process we saw in Ephesians 2 where we are rescued and we have those three exchanges from death to life and captivity to freedom, all of that is done for us so that we can share that process With others, we can be useful to God in rescuing others and extending grace to others. And I'd like to show you this morning, let you listen in on 
one way that that's happening in a Northwake family's life, and you'll have to bear with my lack of film editing skills at the beginning of this, but uh, listen to this. These are some of our Northwakers. This video okay. too, in case the other one doesn't work, right. okay? You're talking. Are we introducing ourselves again? Yeah, introduce yourselves introduce at the beginning. because Amanda said, okay. <laughs> so we are Kyle and Natalie Van Dusen, and we are church planning in Denver, Colorado. So our story, um, we, it's hard to know how far back um, to make it go, but I think God was stirring in us in a few different ways for a little while, though we never thought that we would be church planting and don't, didn't know much about what it was. Um, we have been, we're dear friends, um, Brad and Jaylee, we, we love them, have been praying for them. Um, when they first mentioned us going to Denver, I don't know how long ago, we laughed. Um, <laughs> I think we said we would pray about it, but we not, didn't necessarily take it very seriously. Um, until uh, about this January, we did start taking it seriously. We, we, were, we definitely felt our hearts burdened to be more a part of um, just burden for them, for the church plant, for the team, um, and just caring a lot about this team and this church plant. And so that's when we started taking the possibility a little more seriously, actually praying, actually putting it on the table, saying yes, um, or should we do that? Talking to each other about should we actually do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we, uh, I met with Brad uh, early morning at, at Chick-fil-A, and um, after we had kind of talked about it, I was still just kind of like wanted to do the what I think is the easy thing, even though praying is awesome. Just like we'll pray for you, we will support you financially, and um, so then we kind of asked the hallways, like, would you really want us to to go with you? Do you think we would be good partners and be good church planners? And just kind of not recognizing that God equips, God does all of the work. It's not really about me and Natalie. It's not about Brad and Jay Lee. It's not about Brandon Terry. And so, so we kind of talked to them, we got a prayer guide and we're praying through that and, and wanted to put our yes on a table. But we realized as we were doing that, specifically me, as we were putting our yes on a table, every morning, every day, I would kind of say, it's all yours, God, and I would, I would pull stuff back in and I'd hold that in and say, God, I will do that, I will go to Denver, but I need this. And kind of pulling it in, just realizing the idols that we had in our lives. And, so after praying through it, it was just an amazing process. God revealed so much about our hearts. Um, we were sanctified so much through the process. A lot of Larry's sermons this past summer of Joshua real, were really instrumental of just seeing, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, God equipping, God doing the work. It wasn't about Joshua, it wasn't about the Israelites. It's God, he's Lord of the land. And we realize there's a need for the gospel, the need of Jesus, the hope that we have um, for the people of Denver. And so really, the end of July, we decided to say, we're all in, we don't know what that means. It could be, we've moved there in three years, two years, couple months, and um, it kind of, <laughs> it ended up being the latter. I applied for a job a couple days later. God really moved, opened doors, uh, got a job in Denver, actually just started a few weeks ago from the time that you all will be seeing this. And we so appreciate your prayers. If you're looking, to learn more about what we're doing or our story, we'd love to, to get in contact with you and also to learn how you can partner with us, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through uh, financial support uh, for the church plant. 
and, and we really do covet your prayers. We miss y'all a lot. We love you. And um, we, yeah, just keep praying for us. We, we need it. But. So that's filmed in Denver. They've moved to Denver. Kyle's living in Denver. The, Natalie and the kids are joining them uh, next week. She was here in the first service, and they'll be moving, moving out there together. Um, maybe this is a good work God wants you to join. Maybe it's something he prepared for you to walk in, to go and join a church plant um, in Denver. Um, the need is great there. One estimate says that less than 10% of the city are evangelical Christians, less than 10%. They are in the top four cities Denver is in the nation with, of those with no religious affiliation. Um, Portland's actually number one where our other church plant is out west. But there's a great need in Denver. See, when they think of church, they may very well be thinking of something like this. This is the International Church of Cannabis. Not Canada. Cannabis. I am not making this up. Um, and Brad and Jaylee Holloway, who are the lead church planners, are there right now. Not like there right now. They're in Denver right now, scouting out where they should live, learning about the city, um, so that, Lord willing, they can join the Van Dusens who kind of jumped the gun and, and got there months before anybody thought they could. Hey, maybe God prepared this for you to go and serve there. Um, I don't know. But for right now, I do know you and me are here. This is where God has put us. He's put us here. Um, Maybe that's why you live where you live and work where you work and go to school where you go to school and get your hair cut where you get your hair cut and shop where you shop so that you can help someone be rescued from being held captive by the devil. Maybe that's a good work that he's prepared for you, not, not just for evangelists or church planners, but for you. That's why you and your family are here. That's why you have the neighbors you have. You know, when the holidays are on us and there are more opportunities, wonderful opportunities than normal to engage people in conversation about Jesus. Just to open your home up for a meal with somebody who's unchurched and doesn't know Christ. Would you do that this holiday season? We invite them over and pray beforehand that God would open up a door for a conversation about Christ. Will you do that? Um, you know, if, you're, if you have kids, your friends have kids, you have kids, they love your kids, um, on December 16th, we have our children's Christmas extravaganza where the kids lead us in everything and they're shepherds and angels. And George Robinson um, is gonna share a beautiful gospel presentation at the close of that time that your friends will get to hear. Our Christmas Eve service will be a retelling of a gospel story. Will you, bright, will you bring your friends along? Um, Will you walk in this good work that God has prepared for you? Well, that's one shape that it, good works take in Scripture that we're made for, that we're, we're God's workmanship in order to do that he's prepared for us. There's another shape that these God-prepared good works take in the pages of Scripture. You'll hear it in this next few verses. Listen, listen close. I've highlighted it for you. Paul says they are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In Titus, he says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works 
so as to help cases of urgent need. Second Corinthians, he writes about giving, and he said that God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know, um, generosity is closely linked with good works in Scripture. If there's a patron saint of generosity, it's probably a lady named Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. It says, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, and she was full of good works and acts of charity. There's this close connection between the good works that we're supposed to do and helping those in need. Jesus told a story about it. You've likely heard it. It's in Luke chapter 12. You can turn, flip there if you want to. Jesus in Luke chapter 12 gets drugged into uh, an inheritance dispute, which he declines to settle. He wants nothing to do with it, but he does issue this warning. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then knowing that we don't heed warnings, Jesus tells a story. And Jesus is most dangerous when he tells stories. So here's the story that he, that he says. He tells them a parable and he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. So this rich farmer is basically living the dream that your neighbors are dreaming to live, right? The problem of what, do, what can I do with all of my extra money? That's the dream, right? That we should be in that situation. And God pronounces over that dream, fool. See, this is, this is a dream you must not dream. Okay. And, and Jesus tells us why throughout the story, and especially in these closing verses in verse 20, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So there are, throughout this little short story, three significant things that this rich farmer has badly misjudged. First, he thought that more stuff produced contentment and satisfaction in life. And all it produced for him was necessary hoarding and perpetually future contentment. He labored under the lie that bigger barns would bring life. But the thing I want you to see is he was already a rich man. That's how he's introduced in the story. He's already rich. Before the bumper crop, how he needed to hear Jesus' words of warning in verse 15. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. His second misjudgment was that he failed to factor death into the equation 
and studies have shown that barring the return of the Lord, we pretty much all die. Okay? This rich farmer is pretty much the poster boy for the saying, you can't take it with you. And lastly, he had a badly misdirected heart. He intended to keep it all for himself. You know, a dozen times in this four-line story um, about this man, he talks about I and my. Twelve times, I and my. Never about God. See, he suffered from misplaced treasure, and Jesus famously says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And his treasure was in barns, and so was his heart. Now, the truly terrifying thing about Jesus' story is that the last verse isn't about the farmer. It's about us. Look at what it says. So the one who lays up treasure for himself, so is the one, rather, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, we could be the fool in Jesus' story unless unless we are rich towards God. Rich towards God. What, what does that even mean? Okay. What, is, what does that saying mean? How can you be rich towards God? Pastor John Piper again says, being rich towards God, therefore, is the heart being drawn towards God as our riches. Rich toward God means moving towards God and counting him greater, than, greater riches than anything on the earth. Rich toward God means using earthly riches to show how much you value God. How do we turn our hearts in that direction, toward God like that? And I think one way is to do the opposite of the man in Jesus' story, right? We don't keep it all for ourselves. We give it away, okay? Look at what Proverbs 19 says. It's an interesting connection to Jesus' teaching. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. If you connect that to what Jesus taught in Matthew 25 where he says, um, a king, the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And we realize that one of the most practical ways to be rich towards God is to be generous to those who are in need. To not keep it for ourselves, but to be generous to those who need it more than we do. And at Northwake, we have a beautiful new opportunity to do this, and I wanted you to hear about it this morning um, through Keverly Dyson and what God has for her. So Keverly, you wanna come on up and share with us? First, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have welcomed me into this church family and encouraged and supported me as I've been preparing to go back into ministry in Haiti. Ten years ago, I learned what poverty looks like. I grew up on the mission field working with people who we would consider poor, but it wasn't until Haiti that I held people as they starved to death. I learned about suffering, corruption, and abuse of power even within the church. I wondered if the baby girl that I was caring for, who is my adopted sister today, would be taken from me to be sold as a slave. I saw physical and spiritual poverty beyond what I had ever imagined. 
But in the middle of that poverty and suffering, God's presence was tangible with us. Only God's grace and mercy could begin to cover the sins of oppressors. And only God's love and peace that passes understanding could restore the brokenness of the oppressed. Only in God do we have hope. But, in the, but so many in the middle of that suffering today do not know this. And that is why I'm going. Real Hope for Haiti is a clinic and rescue center for malnourished children in a rural Haitian village. The clinic cares for more than 400 patients each week um, of all ages from the mountains around us. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and one of the poorest in the world. Because of that, malnutrition is a huge problem, and that's why we have our rescue center. We take in children who are severely malnourished, many of them near death, and care for them until they are completely healthy, and then we give them back to their families. It usually takes about five months to a year and a half for them to fully recover. Um, this is what children with severe malnutrition often look like. They either become swollen with fluid or just lose all of their healthy tissue and become very thin. Um, but it is the most beautiful thing to watch these children recover. In this picture, between the first picture in the top left corner and the last picture, um, only three weeks had passed. Um, so she's dying in that first picture, but just three weeks of proper nutrition, and she has her smile and her life back. Um, so what we do is give these kids Medica Mamba, which is an enriched peanut butter product that's actually made in Haiti, and it's the most effective way to treat malnutrition in the world. Um, so I'll just show three more examples of before and after photos of the kinds of children that recover with us. And I'll just tell you one story um, of a child who is with us. Um, Grajenier is the one sitting next to me. Um, he's 19 years old. When he was five years old, um, he was with us recovering from severe malnutrition. He was very swollen. Um, and he recovered, but then when we sent him back home, his mother almost immediately sold him as a slave child. So between five years old and 19 years old, he's been passed from house to house um, just doing labor as a slave. When he became so sick and malnourished again this summer, um, his master didn't want him anymore since he couldn't work and gave him back to his mom. And then his mom brought him to us and said that she never wants to see him again. We had the privilege of loving him this summer and watching him respond to that love. We did devotions with the kids every night, full of Jesus and the gospel, and we pray that he and all of these children will come to know the love of his heavenly father. Isaiah 58.10 says that we should pour ourselves out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted. And the most important way that we can do that is by offering them Christ. Satan has such a strong hold on the people of Haiti through voodoo, and we see the effects of satanic worship on a regular basis. Um, Mark 8.36 tells us, What does it profit a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? When we feed these starving, we literally give them back the world. But if we do not fight with even greater passion for their souls, then we have failed. So we share Christ with them. And one of a new way that we are going to be doing that um, is directly through North Wake. 
Um, Haiti Love has been working with Haitian men in the Dominican Republic, training them in um, church leadership and just in Bible. And now those men are equipped, and they're going to come and train our men in the village. So I'm so excited about that. Um, my heart's desire is to see God transform the village of Kaizal and the country of Haiti for the good of these people who I know that he loves and for his glory. Um, so please pray with me that he will do this. Thank you, Carolee. So, magic, peanut butter, and the gospel. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. Um, and maybe this is a good work that God has prepared for you to come alongside Keverly. Maybe, maybe you need to get a nursing degree and go to that clinic, or maybe you need to go down there on a short-term trip and volunteer, or maybe you want to send, you want to support her. She's raising her support so she can go back early next year, Lord willing. Um, but our elders have decided that this year, every year we give 10% of all the monies that come in for our capital campaign, we give away in anticipation of the day when we can give it all away. And so um, the third and fourth quarter tithe this year will be going to Haiti with Keverly. Next year, we'll give 10% of everything that comes in to our church plant in Denver. Um, and then, when we're debt free, we're gonna give it all away we'll give 100% of everything that comes in in this special offering we now call Journey of Faith. We'll rethink all that next year. But we'll, we'll continue to have opportunities and we'll put them before you and we will give it all away so that we can learn how to be rich towards God and so that we can walk in the good works that he has prepared for us. So I'd like to close our service with that action. We'll be offering our 2019 calendar year pledges towards our needs to be debt-free as a church. And Lord willing, next year we will be debt-free. Um, so I'd like to invite you as the worship team comes and begins to lead us to take out your commitment card. If you haven't filled it out, to, to f you were given one when you came in, to fill that out. Um, and then after you, you've prepared that, if you're already prepared, you can bring it down here to the front and lay it on the communion table as an act of worship to Christ, um, as an expression of your love toward God. And if you're one of our leaders who's already pledged, uh, let me encourage you to spend this time praying for our church in these matters. And you may even want to come down to the steps and, and bow here and spend some time down front praying for our church during this time. But if you will bow with me, I'd like to lead us in prayer towards